This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, questions about the Bible, questions about life, questions about what we believe and why we believe it, anything and everything. I'll do the best that I can. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-340. 9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send your questions to us. That way, if you are driving in your car, it's always safer to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner on top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, our main number, it's 340-9585. Hey, tonight I'm going to be finishing, uh, not finishing, I'm in the, I've got two more studies in uh, the book of Isaiah. It seems like we've been in it forever, uh, but we're in chapter 65 tonight. Uh, with some of the news that I've been listening to and some of the, the reports that I get, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, Lord, we need chapter 65 now. So tonight is one of those Bible studies that looks so forward to a time that we can't even possibly comprehend, a time when there's no more pain, no more sorrow, a completely new order of things. I had a question about that on yesterday's program. Well, that's tonight. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 65 and then just one more week in the book of Isaiah. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me for the date day edition of the show as usual. So um, if you need any encouragement, ladies, especially for you, she will be here and we would love to have your input on the program. Let's get right to questions. I don't think we have anything else business wise to do. So Danny asked the first question today. He said, in this age of people being so sensitive to being offended, how do we defend patriarchy in the Bible? Danny, I've never been asked that question that way. So uh, good question. Uh, I, I don't think we worry about it. Patriarchy is established from the very beginning of our Bibles all the way through the end. So it's very important to God. And I think sometimes we have to decide, are we going to be more worried about offending people, or are we going to be more worried about offending God? So I don't think we have to defend it. I think we just have to declare it. I think that's an important distinction. You know, we think people are going to say, well, you guys are are sexist or you're misogynist, and why does the wife, why is she the one that has to submit? Um, Danny, their argument is always with the Lord. It's always with his word. One of the things that I've done in the past with people, I'll ask them, share me a Bible verse that you love. And they'll share a Bible verse really quickly. And I'll say, well, you don't have any problem with that. What if that offended me? Why would you question the patriarchy and not question the Bible verse that you just love? You see, it's either all of God or none of it is. And that's so important for us to understand. So I really don't think we worry about people being offended. That That's just going to happen in this world, a world that people are turning away from God, a world that, that honestly, Danny, people hate God. And so I'm not worried. Now, I always do it, and I'm sure you do as well. I always do it with uh, tenderness and with kindness. I'm sensitive 
to the perspective the, the, the people I'm talking to are coming from. But we can't worry about being offensive. And if our heart is not to offend, then the Holy Spirit will still use what we say, whether or not they're offended. So I think that's really important. But uh, it's important to God, Danny. It's got to be important enough to us that we're not going to compromise on this issue. Now, let me take a moment, Danny, because I want people in the, the audience to be sure what we're not talking about. We're not talking about women being inferior, women being less spiritual, or women being less intelligent or even less capable. None of that is what patriarchy insinuates. A wife needs to submit to her own husband, not to men in general. That means women can be bosses, women can be anything and everything they want. God only restricts women from one thing, and that one thing is being a pastor, having authority over men in the church. That's all. Not, not in the government, not at home, uh, not anywhere else. So uh, patriarchy is none of those things. The other thing we have to understand about submitting in our own homes, Danny, is that we're to submit as unto the Lord. And God is simply saying, here's a partnership, husband, wife, a partnership. Two became one. You had your own directions, your own thoughts, your own ideas. When you got married, you became one in mind and spirit and heart. And the way you do that is to follow Jesus together. And the people who are offended by wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, um, they don't know our Lord very well doesn't say that your husband is your boss. It doesn't mean that he can tell you to do ungodly things as unto the Lord. So I think, Danny, we're going to stop worrying completely about people being offended because people are offended now by almost everything that doesn't line up with a particular view that they have on something. So, Danny, I hope that answers your question. My next question comes from Marty, and he said, Pastor Ron, angels have free will, obviously, he says in parentheses. So is it possible for angels angels to fall away today? Uh, Marty, it's not. Angels are not humans. Uh, I know we have free will. Angels have free will. But we're completely different sort. Our relationship with God is completely different. So you're right. Angels had free will at one time. But unlike humans... Once those angels have exercised their free will to make a choice, that choice is sort of written in stone. It can't be changed. So when an angel who fell away from God in the beginning, you know, one of the one-third of the angels that were, were deceived by, by Satan, um, they can't come back. There's no repentance for them. They made their choice once and for all. Uh, in the same way, the angels, two-thirds of them, that, that kept their first estate, um, well, they no longer have a choice because they don't want a choice. The choice has been made, but it was a once forever choice. One of the things that I imagine this means, and I can't be sure, Marty, but you know, we're told that angels long to look into these things, the things of grace. Angels are observers of the effect that grace has uh, on humans here on earth. Uh, Paul mentions that. Peter mentions it as well. And I think one of the things that they marvel at is the fact that grace gives us second and third and fourth chances. You know, if we blow it, instead of God saying, okay, it's a once forever choice, um, God says, no, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He gives us a, a, an out. We have one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. We have the ability to ask for forgiveness and receive it and have our fellowship completely restored. And I think, frankly, that blows the angels' minds, Marty. They had one choice and one choice only. And they can never fall away. You and I, we can keep making choices as long as we're making the choices with the right heart and God is going to receive us back. Paula always says, my favorite thing about God is his forgiveness. And um, it, it's, it's a marvelous thing to consider. We mess up. 
our heart hurts because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit lives in us. We say, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And he says, okay. Now we may continue to beat ourselves up unnecessarily. We may feel condemned rather than convicted. But, but conviction of the Holy Spirit is such a good thing because it enables us to say, I'm sorry. And it gives God yet another opportunity to forgive us. So we humans can fall away over and over and over, and sadly we do. But angels didn't have the same kind of relationship. You know, one of the things we have to remember about angels, Marty, is that they represent the principle Jesus spoke about when he said, do much is given, much is required. And the idea there is always much more is required. Well, angels got to see the face of God. Angels were there as created beings from the beginning. It's angels who get to fly around the throne of God singing holy, holy, holy. Angels are God's servants, messengers. And because they've been given such a high position the standard for them is higher than it is for humans. So, Marty, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, angels are mysterious beings, terrifying if we could see them, uh, but um, uh, what we know is only what the Bible tells us. I get tickled every time I see a book on angels uh, because the Bible doesn't speak very much about angels. And yet we can extrapolate all kinds of human ideas and end up with a 300-page book on angels, which uh, really doesn't make much sense to me at all. So, Marty, hope that helps. Here is a question from June. She says, can women be ushers or greeters in church? Of course they can, June. Yes, uh, the only thing they can't be is pastors. And uh, we especially have a lot of women uh, ushers here at Calvary Chapel and greeters uh, we want everybody who's coming to church to feel comfortable. So we've got uh, people from all age groups, uh, people from all racial groups. Um, we got men and women, uh, old and young, uh, and and they know their job is to be the welcoming committee here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And yeah, we have a whole bunch of women who are doing it. One other thing, June, about this, and this is just me personally, but. Uh, when we get new people come to the church, especially if they're on the shy side, and they'll say, well, Pastor, where can I serve? Uh, I always tell them, well, you know, let's stretch you out a little bit. God always likes stretching us. And so what I tell them is, um, how about you go to the usher ministry? And they're scared at first because they're shy, but they get over it really quickly. And it's also a way for them to get to know a lot of people so they don't feel like they're new any longer. So absolutely, women can be ushers or greeters in the church. You know, June, if you're considering doing that, I don't think most people really realize how important a position that is. It doesn't take the greatest skill. It doesn't take technical technical ability. You know, we're always letting people know of our need for uh, workers in the audio-visual ministry, um, um, our, our radio broadcast ministry, all the other stuff. Um, but the first impression people get when they walk in the door, especially when you get a church building like ours, uh, it's really important. And so my prayer for our ushers is always that, that, that they'll be the friendliest, the warmest, uh, the most engaging um, readers or ushers in all of the world. Because I want the people, when they come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, to, to know that they are welcome, to know that this is a place uh, where they can find the Lord and see many, many examples of people uh, who are Christ-like. So, June, thank you for the question. It's a good idea. If that's where you're interested in serving at your church, go for it. Uh, Donald wants to know, I haven't had this question, I'll bet, in six years. He said, Pastor Ron, are there any instruments that shouldn't be used in worship services? I'm thinking of drums or electric amplification. Uh, no, Donald, I don't think there are any that shouldn't be used. Uh, I don't know if you have a 
uh, Church of Christ background or a more um, liturgical church background. Uh, but no, uh, anything that's of this world, drums, electric, guitars, uh, anything um, can be set apart for the Lord's glory. And that's what we do. Um, we have both drums and electric guitars in the church. We've also had trumpets and other uh, horns. Uh, the only thing I don't allow in church here at Calvary Chapel is is uh, tambourines. I know some people like them, but they drive me crazy. And so uh, anything else is fine. And uh, it's perfectly okay to use instruments uh, in worship services. So um, it is fine. Don't worry about a rock and roll beat or anything else that somebody might accuse you of, Donald. But instruments are fine and they enhance the worship um, experience. Um, our drummer, I always laugh at uh, our drummer's name, Joel, and I absolutely love him. And he's always been able to play, but when he first started, and I guess he's been playing the lead drum role on our Sunday worship team uh, for probably three years since the other drummer moved, but he was playing drums on some of the other backup teams uh, before that. And he was okay. It was loud, and he was uh, always had a tendency to speed up and um, to watch how good he's gotten. I'm an old drummer. To watch how good he's become and see how hard he's worked. Believe me, the Lord has really blessed him and is pleased with him because he's taken this role seriously. So all we have to do is separate whatever the instruments that we're going to use, separate those instruments for God's glory, and, um, uh, and they're fine. Uh, if a church decides they don't want musical accompaniment or they don't think dr- drums are appropriate, then, um, you know, that's a personal decision they make. I personally think that they're missing out, and I always hope and pray that there's no legalistic reason for it. So I hope that's a good answer to your questions. 340-9585. We'd love your live calls and questions. Or toll-free 877 877- 630-KSLR. Here is a question from Jill. She said, Pastor on to be saved, do we have to make it to the end? If so, that sounds like we won't really know if we're saved until the judgment. Uh, Jill, the if, you know, if you persist in your faith or if you persist in faithfulness, um, those aren't conditional. Uh, those are assumptions, and by that I mean um, God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He began the work by the power of his Holy Spirit. He'll complete the work by the power of his Holy Spirit. So it's, it's in this case, more causative. It's God who uh, began a work in us and will be faithful to complete it. I think, Jill, too often we act as though, although we know we're saved by grace, unmerited favor, uh, we act as though finishing is up to us. Paul says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for, but work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And um, uh, it, it's simply not true. All we have to do, Jill, is be with Jesus, and we're going to get to the end. Jesus said, my disciples, or my sheep, we're disciples. Know my voice, I call them by name, and they follow me. So the key to finishing is following Jesus, doing what he wants us to do, being obedient and honoring him in in every facet of our lives. And if we do that, then he is the one responsible to make sure that we make it to the end. So again, the, the if you finish or if you are faithful, those kind of statements that you see scattered throughout, especially Paul's epistles, um, those are not conditional. Those are not God saying, okay, I'm going to keep a close eye on you. If you step out of line, I'm going to take your salvation away. It doesn't mean that at all. So if you are saved, if you're born again, Jesus said, Father, I've lost none that you've given me. That means if you're born again, Jill, you are going to make it to the end. Now, through disobedience and other things, there can be a lot of bumps in the road. And how we respond to those bumps is going to determine how 
much we wrestle or hopefully how little we wrestle with our eternal security. So, Jill, I know that I'm saved. I'm pretty sure Paula is, as much as one human can be about another one. And I know we're going to make it to the end and we're going to hear him say, well done. Now, I tell the church here all the time that I'm hopeful that all I hear is, nice try. I want to know that my heart is right. Um, but but Jesus is the one who's going to get us there. And that's so important for us to remember. Because if we don't really get that, then we're going to do all kinds of things right. in terms of human effort to ensure that we make it to the end. And that's never, ever going to be the case. So what we do is we do it for His glory. We do it with Him. We do it for Him. And then Jesus just says, keep following me. You know, Jill, one of the great comforts of my life, before I was saved, I've been saved now for, in February, it'll be 29 years. And I was a guy who always had to make something happen. I always put so much pressure on myself to, to do the right thing or to, to, to uh, achieve the goal, whatever my goal might have been. My goal was always about me getting, being successful, getting money, those kind of things. Um, and, and the things I tried to do was, were always frustrated. And now, all I have to do every day is be with Jesus I can't be with him if I'm in sin. So if I'm with him, if I'm in his presence, I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that I'm not harboring any unrepentant or willful sin. And then all I have to do is follow. I say all the time, Jill, that the easiest thing in the world for us is to follow orders. It really is. I mean, God's not unclear in the least. All we have to do is to do what he says. He said from the very beginning, just outside the garden, if you do what is right, will it not go well with you? He told Cain. Well, the same thing is true for us. And I know if I'm with Jesus today, I don't have to get up tomorrow and say, oh Lord, please save me. I'm sorry for what I did. If I sinned, I just have to say, I'm sorry. Why? Because we have an advocate. There's one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. And because he's promised to forgive me and restore me instantly, just like he did Peter after Peter denied him three times. The only thing that I have to do is be with him. And that means it doesn't mean that it's up to me to make good choices. I don't have to figure out what comes next. I don't have to give in to pressure to do something quickly. The only thing I have to do is be with Jesus, and he's the one who gets me to the end. So, Jill, you can know, he wants you to know that you're his. He wants you to know that you're secure in his hands. So all you have to do is be with Jesus. One of the reasons that I am a one-string guitar, just be with Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Um, that's the way he intended, intended. He said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. I hope that helps. Got two minutes. Let me do one more question. Here's a, here's one I can do from Dennis. Uh, is the shroud of Turin Jesus's burial cloth? Now, you know, Dennis, how extreme scholars are on this issue. Some adamantly, yes. Others say, well, we don't know. It's been tested and all you have to do is read the Bible. The Shroud of Turin has ostensibly has Jesus' likeness burned into it. Ostensibly by the power of his resurrection. But the problem with that is we know that in Jesus' burial cloth there were two cloths. His body was wrapped and his face was wrapped. On his face was a napkin. They found the napkin in the empty tomb. It was folded up and laid behind, beside the place where the body was. The shroud turn is 
one piece. It has his image, supposedly, burned into it. The problem is that's just religious, traditional nonsense. So Dennis, the Shroud of Turin, is not Jesus' burial cloth. All of the time and the money and the intellect that's spent on things like that is frightening to me. You can hear the music. That means we're at the end of our first half hour. The phones have been quiet. We'd love your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the word to stand on for life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our wednesday program 340-9585 our next question comes from rob he says i know i'm saved but i still struggle with assurance How can I enjoy the security you say God wants me to enjoy? Rob, there's two things here. Um, One, um, almost always, I I won't accuse you, I don't know you, so please don't take this personal, but almost always when people struggle with uh, assurance of their salvation, um, they're not in the Word. They're simply not in the Word enough. Uh, And when I say enough, I mean hardly at all. Being in the Word, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12 says, is a a daily process. And if you're not in the Word, which is dripping with assurance, how then can you enjoy security that God wants you to enjoy? And it's not that I say God wants you to enjoy it. He says it over and over and over in His Word. So you've got to make a commitment. Lord, I want that, that security. I want to feel safe in your arms. And, and you know, you've got to really dig in and, and um, get in the Word. The second thing, and this is the bigger thing of the two, is just faith. Faith. Ask God to increase your faith. Will you believe what is written in spite of how you feel. And remember, Rob, this is the enemy. He always wants us to, 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 to lack the security that, that, that Jesus intends for us. He wants us to question God. Did God really say that was the first lie? And, and it's going to be that way for the rest of time. So if, if especially if you occasionally fall into sin, he's going to be right there and say, well, you know, how do you know you're forgiven? How do you know God loves you? Um, you know, we know God loves us because he died for us. Would he do that if, in fact, he didn't want you to enjoy being saved? Do you believe the word when it says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Do you believe the word when it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Do you believe when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our salvation. And what you've got to do is you've got to change the way you think. And we do that by faith, simply by saying, you know, Lord, I know the lies of the enemy, but I choose by faith to believe what your word declares. And so usually, Rob, this is a matter of faith. God wants you to be secure. So I hope that helps. Let's go to Shirts, Texas, and our first call of the day, Scott on line one. Scott, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. How are you today? I'm doing well, Scott. Thank you very much. All right. Just just to let you know, every day on my commute, I kind of drive right by your uh, place there on 1604, and I say a little prayer for you. I just wanted you to be aware oh. of that. Bless your heart. Thank oh. you. 
I tried to call in yesterday, but they had 1604 shut down, so I got stuck in traffic. But earlier <laughs> in your show, you had a, a conversation going on about uh, truth, and it stirred up something I've been kind of um, dealing with. Um, one of the gentlemen that I uh, I have a lot of discussions with at work, who's a non-believer, but uh, I kind of enjoy the discussions because there's a lot of other ears around, and I get a lot of uh, questions from other people that, that kind of get stirred up from that. But he's one of these that uh, believes that, well, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and, you know, that kind of thing. And there's something I heard, and it's a, on a completely different subject, but they, they mentioned it. I've been trying to process it, or, and I don't even know if, if this is a way to go about it or not. I wanted your opinion on it. But basically what I'm struggling with is for those that believe that, one of the questions I think we should maybe possibly ask them is, okay, when, when you have two conflicting truths, who, which truth um, prevails? Which truth overrules the other truth? And, and here's where I'm going with that. And, and if you look in the world today, um, whoever has the more power, whoever, whoever has the most power, their truth ends up prevailing. We see that throughout the governments around the, the world. We see that with uh, families, individuals, um, where if we all fa fall under the single truth, Jesus Christ, we're answer, we answer to him and we, that's where the peace comes in. We finally reach peace because he is the Prince of Peace. But I'm trying to get this kind of straightened out of my head. So when that conversation comes up again, I might be equipped to kind of, kind of talk with him. Um, he knows where I stand as far as, as Jesus is the truth and, and the word. But, um, I was just, anyway, that's, I just wanted to hear what you had to say on that. Thank you, Scott. I, I love that, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with uh, Isaiah 65 tonight. And um, in verse 16, it says, uh, and this is, is speaking about the millennium, uh, whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the God of truth. He who takes an oath in the land will swear by the God of truth. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. And then he goes into this wonderful, I can't wait to teach this tonight, this wonderful uh, um, lesson on, on what, what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like. Um, you know, one of the things we have to do, I think, I think, and I, I appreciate so much you challenging people, but um, if we will challenge them, if we'll do it nicely, do it kindly, but we need to challenge people in an office setting. You can just say, you know what, if a fire alarm goes off in here and we're told to leave, because we risk being burned up. You can say, well, my truth is, it, it's not a fire, it's just a drill. And you can say, well, it might be a fire and we need to go. If it happens to be a real fire, we're going to find out that his truth didn't have any value for him. And, and, and people who talk like that, people who use examples like that, they all know how silly it is. They know it's illogical. They know it makes no sense. But they like sort of convincing themselves of the uncertainty of truth because that permits them to continue sinning. And so I'll often ask somebody, tell me what's going on in your life. What sin is in your life? According to the Word of God, what sin is in your life that you don't want to stop doing? Because that's always the basis behind your truth and my truth. And then we live in such a touchy-feely world where we're we're, we're, we're almost exhorted to go find our truth in life when, in fact, you're right. The two things that are conflicting cannot be both true. They could be both false, but they couldn't be both true. So truth is objective. Truth is not something that is relative to the times. Truth doesn't change. If something was true uh, 2,000 years ago, it's still true today. And what we've got to do is really try to challenge people to look into their heart and say, what is it that's keeping you from recognizing the truth? And then I'll always say this, if you really want to know truth, start at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're really honest and sincere about finding truth, you dig in 
and deal with the empty tomb of Jesus Christ because it validates everything that I'm saying to you is objectively true. In the end, when there's no deception during the millennial reign of Christ, everyone who invokes a blessing or takes an oath will swear by the God of truth. You don't think Jesus in that time is going to let them off the hook. So just challenge them. And the truth is, if they want to stop sinning, if they if things get desperate enough, they will. But almost always, Scott, and, and in fact, I'll go one step further, 100% of the time, it's not that people can't believe, it's that they don't want to believe because believing the truth forces them to deal with their own sin. And I'll often tell people that, you know, at least God can deal with an honest heart. So if you just want to keep sinning, be honest enough to tell God that. Say, God, I, I have a suspicion that you're real. But I don't want to stop having sex with somebody. I don't want to stop drinking. I don't want to stop doing drugs. So I choose my sin over you. And if they're honest enough to do that, I tell them at least God then can deal with an honest heart. But when you're trying to kid yourselves and you're saying something that makes no sense. One other comment here, Scott. You know, this isn't something that's new. Isaiah in chapter 5 of his prophecy He said he lived in a time, and obviously it it extends prophetically down to the end of time, but he said he lived in a time where good is called evil and evil is called good. And that's the world that we live in. And so we need Christians like you who are willing to take a stand for the truth, not just for the sake of argument, not just for the sake of, of debate, but really dealing with people so that they have to deal Internally, with the help of the Holy Spirit, who's going to use your words and use your testimony, use your faithfulness to convict them, they're going to have to deal with it. And either they'll deal with it honestly, or they'll continue in their pursuit of some unfindable truth, and their hearts will grow harder and harder and harder. And we can tell them about that. And then as we pray for them, I promise the Holy Spirit's not going to leave them alone. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it very much, and thank you so much for the prayers. At 1604, over in this end of town now, there is construction everywhere. I've been here for 24 and a half years. These freeways over here have been under construction the whole time, and right now it's the 1604 time, and I live right off the 1604, so we're sort of dealing with this every day. Good question, Scott. Thank you very, very much. Kathy has an easy question for me. She said, what are your thoughts on being slain in the spirit? Kathy, uh, it's not biblical. Um, It's certainly not the Holy Spirit. Um, In the demonic spirit world, there is power. And um, churches that practice slaying people in the spirit are out of balance, out of control, um, even harmful uh, so it's just a practice that you ought to, to, to completely 100% avoid, Kathy. Uh, it simply isn't a big old truth. I don't have anybody waiting on the line, so let me tell you a quick story, Kathy. When I was a brand new believer, um, and when I say brand new, I'm talking in my first year of being saved, um, uh, Paul and I and another friend and his wife from, from the dealership I ran, uh, we went to a Benny Hinn uh Outreach, crusade, I called it a concert because it's a big show. And uh, uh, he was knocking people down over and over and over. And he finally said, he said, the spirit is here. And he wanted to start knocking down whole sections. I mean, we're 20,000 people. And so he would throw his hand at one section. They would all fall down. And they would go from from um, uh, his right to left and we were sort of in the middle, and I saw these things going on. I said, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to fall down. I, I'm just not going to fall down. And I almost did. I almost did. I kind of held myself up, but I almost did. And here's what I know. I know that that power was real. I know it wasn't from God. I know that God's power doesn't accompany a false teacher, a heretic. And so I recognize the power of the enemy in that place. And whenever you're in a church that's out of control and people are dropping, Kathy, that is not the power of God. It's the power of the enemy. 
Thank you for the question. Let's go. This one says Ray from Texas on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi, Ray. I may have a question you've never had posed to you before. Okay, not much chance of that, but let's give it a try. I know. What? I said not much chance of that, but let's give it a try. Well, I know you used to uh, go to the track, and I think you might have uh, wagered some. (laughs) (laughs) You think? In the past, you know. Yeah. Uh, So don't put all your money in that horse. (laughs) Anyway, uh, it's just, I don't know what exactly brought it into focus for me, but you were talking about... uh, tambourine as far as a musical instrument that was not allowed in your church mm-hmm. because of something and uh, it must be something deep rooted in your past along with uh, <laughs> perhaps uh, Colt 45 was it? <laughs> was it? Was yeah, it Colt 45? Yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do okay, with the tambourine. But, but 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 let me let me finish with this silliness here. That uh, um, if you know, I've heard of people having recurring dreams and stuff and things coming up, and I've even had tastes come back up to my mouth. You know, mm-hmm. uh, from some anyway, you know, physic physicality things. So if since the tambourine is, uh, you know, we're just dealing with our human senses, and uh, that's a, a sound, a hearing uh, thing. And the, the Colt 45 is a taste uh, thing. Um, if, if you had to have a choice between the two, which would you choose? And I bet you would choose listening to a tambourine more than enjoying Colt 45, and I'm going to get off the, the phone and let you, uh, you can rebuke me for saying something stupid like that or whatever, just say, none of your business, <laughs> but I'm going to listen on the on the radio. Thank you, Ray, and you're right, I haven't had that question before, so that's that's a new one. Two things, one, I don't have to choose. I think somebody give me a cigarette. I don't have to. I don't have to say yes. And so uh, I, I would never be in a position where I would have to choose between those things. I would simply say no, no, don't want to do either of those things. Now let me explain about the tambourines. I, I get people all the time that say, say, well, Pastor, why do you hate tambourines so much? Tambourines are in the Bible, and I always say the same thing. I say, you know, the devil's in the Bible, and I don't want him in church either. And it's just a personal thing. You know, I, I don't make a bunch of rules around here, but um, I feel like I'm the pastor of the church, and if I don't want the racket distracting me and others uh, of a tambourine, it's okay to ask Christians to at least respect uh, my authority in the church. I, I don't want that. Now, um, there's nothing demonic about tambourines. It just... That clinging drives me crazy. And we've had over the years people come in, Ray, who, who uh, would bring tambourines. You know, they come from far more charismatic churches and they're more emotive. Um, and, um, you know, we've heard the tambourine during worship and it's like almost every head turns in the direction of the tambourine because they know what I'm thinking. Uh, but it's just a matter of I don't like it, and um, um, just as I wouldn't take another drink of Colt 45 malt liquor, I spit it out the first time, first alcoholic beverage I've ever had a taste of, and I, I wouldn't swallow it. It was so so nasty. Well, um, if somebody brings a tambourine to church, then our ushers will go to them and say, oh, please, we, we're, we're not going to do that here. Um you can sing, you can clap your hands, you can raise your arms, you can cry, but, but no tambourines. And um, we'll take the time gently to explain to them. So that's all. I just don't like it. It's not deep-seated. 
Uh, it's also interesting that you mentioned dreams because I do have nightmares where tambourines are in my my nightmares from time to time. So, Ray, I'm probably going to have nightmares tonight. It's, not, it's your fault if I do. Donald asked this question. Pastor Ron, do you think there's ever a time when God really wants someone to be wealthy and successful? Donald, I could spend an hour answering this question. You know, we have a, a tendency to think, well, God wants me to have the best in this world. Um, one of the best-selling Christian books was Your Best Life Now. That has nothing to do with God. That's just nothing but a carnal heart. Um there are people that God has blessed with exceptional wealth and extreme success. But but when God is behind that wealth and success, there's always a reason. It's because God can trust that man or that woman with wealth. Uh, our church has been blessed from, from wealthy people. Um, I've personally been blessed by wealthy people going all the way back to my time in Bible college. Um, and, and, and the people, whether I knew them or not, uh, the people understood that whatever God gives them belongs to God. And, you know, wealthy people live wealthy lives. Uh, they're not giving away every penny. They're not making themselves broke. It's just, it's just they can be very, very generous because God has given some people the gift of giving. We have a couple of families in our church, one in particular who has is always been so eager to help on on anything sometimes things that we don't even think about but he's a guy who understands that he's been blessed by God he and his wife and so they just keep giving it out and God keeps bringing it in and so um there isn't a time when God will say I want that man or that woman to be wealthy just because I want him to have the best of life. I want him to have it easy. That's not the case. Remember earlier I said, Donald, that too much is given, much more is required. That's what Jesus said. And um, there's a great accountability that comes with wealth. I know people who started out, well, they wanted to get wealthy. They achieved it. And yet they didn't glorify God once they did achieve it. And their wealth was fleeting. It was temporary. So, no, Donald, God doesn't want you to be wealthy for wealth's sake or successful for your ego's sake. What God wants is for you to offer everything to Him. Not just some things. He wants you to offer everything to Him. And whatever you give to Him, He will bless. It's that simple. Now, people that give to God to get from God, they don't get it. That's never the heart of God. But people who understand that everything I have, not 10% of everything that I have, or even 20 or 30% of everything, everything I have belongs to God. Those are the people that can't help but to be blessed because you can't outgive God. So motive, motive, motive is always everything about questions like this, Donald. Thanks very much. Sean says, uh, Pastor Ron, who are the two witnesses in Revelation? And what exactly will they do? Um, Sean, they appear in the first half of the Great Tribulation. Um, uh, Elijah and Moses are the two witnesses. Um, The same two who appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now there are some who say, well, Elijah's one. We know that because the the Old Testament prophecies are clear. Uh, But Moses is never mentioned. But they'll say it could be Enoch because Enoch didn't die. And Elijah and Enoch are the only two people that didn't die. Uh, Enoch was taken up uh, to, to walk with God. Elijah taken up in a in a chariot, a whirlwind. Um, but but um, you, you remember the context of the witnesses. Um, the witnesses represent the law and the prophets. Moses was the law. Elijah was the prince of prophets. Um, the two witnesses in Revelation uh, will destroy people with fire coming from their mouth. We know that Elijah and Moses both called down fire. So uh, they're going to be exactly what the word implies. They're going to be witnesses. They're going to be telling Jews in the first half of the Great Tribulation about Jesus. They're going to have their ministry uh, by the western wall of the uh, the old temple. 
And uh, for three and a half years, they are going to uh, repel anybody who tries to come against them. And they're going to let them know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And they're going to be a big pain in the neck for the rest of the world who wants to get rid of them. What they will do besides witnessing, uh, they're not going to leave that area. They're going to be confined in that area. Uh, but they are invincible until God is done with them. And then finally, he's going to allow their lives to be taken. Their bodies are going to be desecrated in the streets of Jerusalem. And then three days, third day resurrection. Think about this. After the third day, then they're going to be taken up in glory in front of everybody to see. And that's going to be the time when the the, the rebelling world collectively says, uh-oh, we're in trouble. But that's all they're going to do. They're going to witness. They're going to be God's mouthpiece in the very, very, very last days with three and a half years before their ministries cut off and God then pours out his judgment on the world. So, Sean, that's who they are and that's what they're going to do. And it is um, amazing to me that the things they're going to do, um, when they die, the world is going to say those pests, those troublemakers are gone. I always think about Paul being called a pestilent fellow. Bugs us all the time. Well, they haven't seen bugging until Elijah Elijah and Moses appear on the scene. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand In for Life. Paula will be live in studio with us tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. Isaiah chapter 65 tonight at calvaryessay.com at 7 o'clock. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.